recording. Fine. Okay, hello. This is the Angry GM. It's the Angry GM's mostly monthly live chat for the month of February. I'm here. Let's get this on because I'm not in the mood for this anymore. Man, today wore me down. So anyway, this is the mostly monthly live chat for the month of February, which I already said. So I don't know why I'm saying it again, except I don't know how to transition into anything. Um, and that's that. And boy, oh boy, are we going to have big fun tonight. Uh, apparently, uh, when I actually remember to put a Q&A uh, thread up early and tell everybody I'm doing it, then I get inundated with questions I sure as hell don't want to answer. So that's fun. Um, anyway, okay, so uh, Nitsua, uh, Frenemy for Life Nitsua is back with Angry Bingo. So if you are listening live here in the Discord chat, you want to check in the live chat text channel pinned messages and download your Angry Bingo card. The first person to bingo will receive from Nitsua a book uh, from Appendix N or Appendix E or whatever. A book. You get a book and... Um, this is not an official Angry Games sanctioned event, and Angry Games has nothing to do with it. This is Nitsua's doing. So, you know, di direct all complaints and questions at Nitsua, who tends to win his own bingo more often than anybody else does. So I think this is all just a scam to give him an excuse to buy himself books. Um, probably to win an argument with other Nitsua. Uh, you know, you know, uh, Nitsua's alternate. Just, no, I have to buy this. I know I said I wasn't going to buy any more books, but, you know, to fulfill the, the rules of Angry Bingo, I have to buy this book for myself. Better half. That's a good phrase. I couldn't think of a phrase. Uh, anyway, do we just randomly pick one of the sheets? Nitsua, tell, didn't you put in the message how to do this? Are people just not reading it? Did I not pin it? I didn't pin it? Whoa. I didn't pin it. That's on me. Okay. Okay, this is already a disaster. I could have sworn I pinned it. There we go. It should be pinned now. It's pinned now. Does it not explain how it works? I don't know. This, this is, this isn't it to his thing. Okay. Anyway, so there's that. Proselys has already had his producer role our Proselys has also had his producer role. I'm going to slow down a bit. Proselys has had his producer role restored and is acting as the producer. And this is going to be a bit of a long one. I have instructed Proselys to put 90 minutes on the clock and to stop me promptly when I hit 90 minutes, though, uh, obviously for best effect, he should warn me before he hit, before I hit 90 minutes. So, uh, let's see. Anything else? Um, also, I believe Pizza Doug, uh, Frenemy for Life Pizza Doug, is going to try and keep a list of things that I should link to when I post this. So hopefully there are links in the description. So number one, I realized, it's, okay, first, so normally I start these things off with news, the, the Angry Games news. So here's the Angry Games news. It's Monday, and I swore that until I was caught up, I would post a status update every Monday, and I totally forgot that I needed to do a status update on the website so nobody knows what my status is. Um, and um, 
So there's that. Sorry, I got distracted by the chat scrolling. Um, actually, I got distracted because I saw a chat message pop up and my blood immediately began to, began to boil. Oh, okay, never mind. Somebody's not being a dick. Never mind. Never mind, I misread everything. Boop. I thought somebody was referencing like three different things I said earlier to try and drive me crazy. Okay. Anywho, so uh, I'm still in catch-up mode. I am hoping that the next article will go live on Wednesday and that it will go live with its proofread alouds attached, which is, of course, the next goal on my list. And then the goal following that, I don't remember what the goals are. Anyway, doesn't matter. Um, that's the news. Still working on it. This week's article is going to be a fun one. I can't tell you who supplied the topic because... Their name is concealed. I can refer to them only as Backpack Novice. Uh, they originally intended this to be an Ask Angry, and I have been ignoring it for two months and finally decided to answer it, which started the first of several gigantic ass fights today. Um, because I dared to suggest that, <laughs> you know, having a character tracking app isn't terrible. And so that obviously meant that I was advocating for throwing away paper and never playing a tabletop role-playing game anywhere but online ever again. That's apparently how people responded, even though I was actually not even talking about that. To be fair, I was kind of dicking with people a little bit because I didn't explain what I was doing. I just like blurted out a statement that is, you know, I think, and the statement was pretty tame to be fair. I said, you know, the conclusion I'm reaching from what I'm working on right now is that you probably should build your character tracker app as you're designing your game and then release them at the same time. That's what I said. Apparently what everybody heard was, I will never again, or you will not be able to use a paper character sheet in, angry pro in any angry product ever. And if you use paper sheets, you're wrong and terrible. And jackbooted thugs should kick down your door and steal your GMing screen. Which, understandably, those two things are spelled very similarly, so I can understand why, the, why everybody got upset. Anywho, um, this is the... With Backpack Novice choosing the topic... I'm going to experiment with this new approach uh, to content creation. Um, going forward, uh, my intention is to do two true campaign managery features each month, to do one angry hack each month. Those were already there. And then that fourth article, the fourth floating thing, I thought it would be fun to let members of the community pose potential topics. So what I would do is I would set up a thread or a message um, somewhere where it's with like a you pick the topic thing and let people throw topic ideas and one lucky person will be chosen to be able to read. Well, I mean, everybody will be able to read. I'll pick one topic basically. 
um, because I'm looking to put angry, ask angry on hold for a little while for a couple of reasons. But at the same time, this is a sort of ask angry. It's just an ask angry that, but it's limited only to, you know, subscribers and supporters. I mean, everybody gets to read the article in the whole world, but only subscribers and supporters can propose the topics. And I'm only going to do one because I find that one of the things I'm running into, the problem I'm running into is um, the ask angry questions require detailed answers. And I never feel like I have enough space um, to do what I want to do with them. So I, I then end up discarding a lot of things. Like I, the, one of the reasons I've been putting this off is because I knew it would consume most of an Ask Angry, even though it's a really, really good question and leads me to conclude that the only way forward for tabletop role-playing games is that nobody is ever allowed to use a paper character sheet ever again. So remember that. Angry said, if you use a paper character sheet, you are obsolete and you are out of the hobby forever. You're ruining it for everyone. I hope everybody got that. Okay. The other thing is um, going forward, um, the early access link each, each week when I post the early access article, it is always going to be the same hyperlink. Okay. I still have a problem where a couple of people are still getting very confused because um, at once I post the article, when I post the article on Patreon and Subscribestar, the early access article, that link stops working when I then put the article into general access. And even though I've explained this multiple times, I still get people asking me, hey, you know, this link is now broken. Like, yes, I know, there's a new early access article, and the old early access article is now on the site for everyone. Um, I also still have a couple of dedicated people who are really hanging on to trying to use um, Patreon and Subscribestar and those platforms to get in touch with me, to get support, yada, yada, yada. And I, as far as I'm concerned, those two sites and any other sites I use in the future to collect payment, those are cash registers. That's all I want from them. I don't want... I no longer put my content on there. My content is on my own site. If you're going to comment on my stuff, I would much prefer you comment on my site so everybody can see it. Um, if you need trouble, or if you have a problem, there is a there is a website, or not a website, or what's the thing? You, you type a message, and then you type in the thing with the at sign, and then it goes to the person. Email address. There is an email address, patron.support at angry.games. So if you have any problems, that's the fastest way to get in touch with me. Which, by the way, if you're in Discord and you have a problem, like I can't access my thing, or this seems to be broken, whatever, anything that has to do with me putting out content or whatever, the best way for it to get addressed is not to send me a private message, it's not to at message me, and it's not to do that quiet little thing where you're afraid to at message me in Discord, so you just type my name and hope that I will see it later when I scan through the Discord. Um, the best way to do it is to send it to patron.support at angry.games. Um, any problem at all, if it goes there, I'm going to see it quickly. Uh, so anyway, but the point is now there will be one fixed link every week. The, whenever you click that link, whatever article is currently in early access will appear. And so you never need to check on Patreon or Subscribestar. If you bookmark that link, um, you will always know when the next 
you will always see the current early access article. That is my plan. Okay. That's it. Oh, and uh, as far as health news, because I did get a few messages, people asked me about it because I've been dropping some funny comments. Ha ha. Um, uh, yes, uh, my doctor is still trying to figure out what is wrong with my heart, um, which seems to still be having something wrong with it. So I'm on a heart monitor right now. I don't know what it is. Uh, it, it's probably not serious. I, I need to reassure people because some people are starting to get a little worried of me about me. It's probably not serious. It's most likely, if it is anything and not nothing, it can be managed with medication. I'm not having heart attacks. I did not, and I must reiterate this, I did not have a heart attack. Um, and I am not currently having heart attacks. Um, but there's weirdness. And that's that. So don't worry about me. I'll be fine. Either I'll be fine, either it'll go away, it'll be managed with medicine, or it'll kill me one way or the other, it's temporary. So, no sweat. Okay, moving on, we have a bit of breaking news that I feel I absolutely have to comment on because I, for the first time in however long, because I haven't been clued, I haven't really been keyed into what's going on in Dungeons Dragons and the role-playing community in a while. I used to be like on top of things. When Wizards of the Coast put out an announcement or something was coming or whatever, I was like right there because I was super excited about it. Well, Wizards of the Coast has basically broken my spirit and I no longer pay any attention to them and don't care. But I just happened to accidentally stumble upon the, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, this news announcement from Wizards of the Coast, which was published, uh, what, I lost, where was it? Okay. They put this out seven hours ago, okay? And it has some news about the upcoming release of D&D Revised, or whatever the hell they're calling it. So we now have some supposedly firm release dates on the core rule books for one D&D, even though I know we're not calling it that anymore. And this is interesting. So the 2024 Player's Handbook, they're calling it the 2024 Player's Handbook, is coming out September 17th of 2024. And the Dungeon Master's Guide is coming out two months later in November. And the Monster Manual is coming out three months later, in February of 2025. So, there's that. There's the news. Also, they are doing digital pre-releases, so it looks like the first two weeks after the release date will be only digital. If I'm reading this correctly, okay, um, it will be, it's going to be, uh, like, it, from the way it seems, they're giving digital purchases on D&D Beyond exclusive uh, first rights for two weeks, and then you can buy them as, you know, from other outlets and, you know, in physical copies. Also, in case anybody cares, there, uh, ooh, okay, there are a number of new partnerships for D&D merchandise, including Converse will be manufacturing D&D footwear, footwear for you. Um, uh, there will be a Lego D&D set, and Pop-Tarts will be making D&D 
Pop-Tarts, or it says treats. Treats from Pop-Tarts to enjoy during your gaming sessions. Yeah. So there's that. There also, it looks like they have a couple of modules coming. Uh, Vecna Eye of Ruin is coming in May 21st, which looks like a, it's a level 10 to 20 a hardback campaign adventure and, you know, fine, whatever. What's more interesting is in July, they're releasing this thing called Quests from the Infinite Staircase. Um, and the way they're reading it and the fact that they are running um, a Lost Caverns of Sajkanth event as a preview for it, it seems like it's, they're, they're describing it as an anthology. Um... And so I'm suspecting that it's another one of those like tale, what, what was it? Tales from the Yawning Portal or whatever, where they just compi compile a bunch of old adventures um, and then update them for 5e and then just cram them together in one book and sell them like they're new. So there you go. So there you go. There's your excitement for this is what Wizards of the Coast is doing right now. Yay! So that's it. That's the news. What else do I have going on? Uh, so there, there actually, so there are a couple of topics that I did say I was going to talk about. I, I need to talk a little bit about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Okay. Because I have been rewatching, th thanks to O-Dog, the server's resident funny guy and friend of me for life, O-Dog, uh, I have been gotten sucked into re-watching Star Trek Deep Space Nine from the beginning. Uh, and uh, it's going well because I'm partway through season one now, so I'm really booking. Um, and it's funny, like, I, I, there's a few things I've noticed. I mean, I noticed them a, a while ago, but um, there's a couple of things I have to comment on. Okay. There's this thing that sci-fi shows that that want to be edgy and adult often do where you will have this alien race that has like a weird erogenous zone okay um like for example in deep space nine the ferengi the big-eared goblin capitalists um their ear cartilage is sensitive to stimulation right and like uh, was in in Farscape, the the Hynerian, uh, Rigel the Sixteenth, his ear brow was similarly sensitive to stimulation, and so this becomes sort of a running thing, where when somebody is negotiating with the, there's a Ferengi character named Quark. He runs a bar, but he's also sort of the local smuggler and black market contact. It's just the basic scoundrel who runs the bar in town, the saloon. In Deep Space Nine, right? And when people are trying to cut a deal with him or they're trying to get one over on him or whatever, like, if they're female, and they're often female, they will begin massaging his ear cartilage in order to basically distract him and arouse him so that he will then give in to whatever. And you just sort of take, you just watch this and you're kind of, Okay, yeah, I guess that's just a thing. Haha, <laughs> look at that. It was doing that. And but 
suddenly I'm watching it and it occurs to me that isn't that the equivalent of just someone giving him a hand job? Like, because that's not how you do business. I'm sorry. Right? But like, and it gets done over and over again. But here's the real weird thing. Okay, and I thought of this. It's always a male character. The male, it's always the the weird, the weird, you know, erogenous zone that people will just casually touch um, in order to manipulate. It's always the male character. If you did that to a female character, then there would be a great hue and cry, is all I'm saying. But anyway, I just, you know, I'm just watching this and all of a sudden, it felt really icky. Like I never cared before. I was like, ah, oh, this is just a thing. And I, but a lot of sci-fi shows do it where they, you know, they just use this character thing. So then I'm watching an episode. This episode is called The Passenger, I believe. And one of those lines happened that you just, it makes you perk up because you know it's going to cause trouble for the script writers later. Like, as a GM, you know what I'm talking about? Like, where you suddenly blurt out some random bit of world lore, and then you realize after it comes out of your mouth, like, okay, this is going to be a problem to remember later, or this is going to cause some serious plot holes later, or whatever. Okay? Y'all, game masters know what I'm talking about. So, at the very beginning of this episode, um, the the station, the, the space station's doctor, Dr. Bashir, is bragging to another character about his medical brilliance, and she's commenting on how he revived someone that, that seemed dead. And he's saying, well, the tricorder said she was dead. The tricorder is a little hand scanner, okay? Tricorder in Star Trek, if you don't know, it's like your multi-purpose hand scanner. It tells you everything. You just wave it, and then it gives you all the info. Right? And he smarms and he says, well, every first year Starfleet medical student learns never to trust a tricorder to identify the dead. It's very good with the living, but it's not good at telling the difference. You know, it's not good at, you know, identifying when someone's actually dead. Okay. And that line suddenly made me perk up because I'm like, that's a line they're not going to remember they wrote like two episodes from now. So I logged that in my head because I love looking for that shit. Okay, because now I'm just going to, I'm waiting for the time where someone waves the tricorder, especially if it's Bashir, and you just, oh, I'm sorry, Captain, he's dead, right? Five minutes later, they are they respond to a distress call. They end up on a shuttlecraft, and the pa one of the passengers on the shuttlecraft appears to be dead. Dr. Bashir himself breaks out his tricorder, well, I can't save him. He's dead. Bum, 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 roll credits. Because that was like the dramatic moment. Like five, literally took five minutes. And I'm like, that's the funniest friggin' thing. But that's not the funniest friggin' thing. Okay. The entire plot, it was all in the cold open, okay? So like this was the progression. It's the cold open. The credits haven't even rolled. Kira and Bashir are talking in the in their in their runabout coming back from somewhere. And he's like, oh, yeah, I would never use a tricorder to diagnose the dead. Oh, no, we're getting a distress call. Let's beam over. Ah, I think he's dead. He's dead. Boop. There was literally that, right? All right there. Okay. The This entire episode it was sort of a, a weird mystery where the guy who died is a criminal. He is a criminal 
who has famous, who has notoriously managed to fake his own death and cheat death so many times that the investigator who captured him never never takes it for granted that he's dead. Okay? And so for the next half hour of the episode, she is now, there's like weird things happening and she's saying, look, I know you think he was dead, but he is, he's not dead. I'm telling you somehow, some way he cloned himself. He put his consciousness in somebody. He did a thing. He, you know, he had a tech. He did something. I swear he's not dead. Did, could we at least run an autopsy? And so for a half hour, Bashir is, I know the dead when I see them. You know, so it wasn't just that he completely forgot that you don't diagnose the dead with a tricorder. It was that it became a plot point in that episode that he was he really dead or wasn't he really dead? Okay. Now, here's where he, I know, like anybody who's seen the episode is going to be like, I have to, I don't know why I have to share this story. It just made me bonkers. But anybody who knows the episode will then remember, oh, but wait, the criminal had transferred his consciousness through a tech thingy into Bashir. So Bashir at this point was the criminal. Of course, he was going to lie and say, yes, he's dead. I'm not doing an autopsy, whatever. Okay, fine. So it's not a plot hole. It stands to reason that Bashir would then, you know, lie about it, whatever. Except that Major Kira the one who he smarmed about, you can never trust a tricorder to diagnose the dead, was standing right next to him. So as this mystery started to unfold, she didn't say to him or anybody else, you know, he told me not five minutes before he would never ever use a tricorder to diagnose the dead. And now we have a mystery where a dead person famously evades being dead, and there's weird crimes happening that are his exact M.O., and I suddenly remember Dr. Bashir you know, declared him dead with a tricorder literally a second after he was bragging to me that he's smart enough to never, ever do that because he's such a friggin' genius. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> so expect future commentary on stupidity in Deep Space Nine, my favorite uh, Star Trek series, but it was just one of those things that I had to comment on. Like, it's like, because sometimes you watch a show and you do, you're like, this is going to get them into trouble. This is a plot hole waiting to happen. And so I was watching for it. And then I spit my drink across the room because it took literally three minutes for them to forget it. Anyway, I, I want to mention very briefly the Warhammer fantasy role-playing game, but I don't want to eat up too much time because um, I do have a lot of questions and my clock says I've already been going a half hour. Um, so um, I finished running the Warhammer fantasy role-playing game starter set and I promised I would give a review of it. And if people are actually interested, I might... I might do a separate, like, impromptu live chat where I will rip apart this terrible, terrible adventure that is awful, which uh, is called um, Making the Rounds. But I absolutely have to comment on something that has become a pattern in starter adventures that drives me bonkers. And as soon as I say it, people are going to accuse me 
of doing the same thing in Fall of Silver Pine Watch. And the only reason it's top of my head is because I finished the Warhammer thing, and then I ran, uh, then I started running Fall of Silver Pine Watch for a different group, and I'm like, well, aren't I so much smarter than people? Again, because, you know, that's basically my constant thought, is aren't I so much smarter than people? But this is what I absolutely hate, and this is what the adventure does. So... You hand, each person takes a pre-generated character, and the pre-generated character is just loaded down with fascinating details and backstory about the character, because they always are, um, and all sorts of... And, like, Warhammer Fantasy role-playing game famously has a tone problem. Like, it advertises itself as grim and perilous fantasy adventure. It is basically a late medieval Holy Roman Empire-esque world that is sliding very rapidly into corruption and destruction because like the the elder gods the it's like i describe it the best way to describe it is it's like bloodborne the day before okay it's the world that would have become the bloodborne with a flick okay because you have the elder gods and they're doing things and you have people mutating and turning into monsters and all this shit and corrupt officials and, you know, everything is corrupt and everything is decaying and everything is falling apart. It's that sort of thing. And although the rules are for going insane and, you know, having limbs hacked off and shit like that, it's pretty awesome, really. Um, but then you get these starter characters where it's like this half, you know, this halfling likes to cuddle with the other members of the party. Like, that's that's one of her important character traits. She just likes to cuddle. And it specifies just cuddling. And I'm like, oh my, like, totally, that this is a nightmare. And there's all sorts of little shit like that. There's just little, like, and then we'll just be silly just right here. But then let's get back to the grim and perilous. So that sort of drives me crazy. But that's not the thing. This is the thing, Okay. New starter, starter adventures love to try and get the players role-playing. And I put that in massive air quotes, and you can probably hear it in my voice, because you and I and everybody listening, we all know it's not role-playing, it's interaction. Role-playing is everything you're doing at the table. Interacting is when you're talking as your character and playing out your, your conversations and shit, right? And so the new, new adventure or new starter adventures love to try and get the players role-playing and they always do it in the same damn way where they, so they start you off with a scene where you give everybody the character sheet and then you just throw them into a space where nothing is happening so that it's out of the way of their role-playing and then say, okay, fellas, now, or fell, fell lady fellas, uh, and now you can role-play. Go ahead and talk amongst yourselves as your characters. Which, fellats, thank you. Fellas and fellats, thank you. Great vampire Kate, misspelled Kate. Misspelled great vampire Kate says, fellas and fellats. I like that. That actually, wait, that sounds like really close to, to dirty. Oh, wait, that makes me like it more. Okay, fellas and fellats. Okay. So, and that's, that's like, so in this adventure making the rounds, you're supposed to start the characters by you describe the, the city that they're in. And then you say, you have gone to the market. 
And then you're supposed to look at them and say, why are you all in the market? Now, at this point, they've basically just gotten these character sheets and a page of rumors, most of which each one gets a random page of rumors, most of which aren't connected to the adventure in any way, but some are a little bit and some are. But anyway, and then it's like, so what did you come to the market for? What are you looking for? What are you doing? Who are you talking to? Go ahead and role play in the world, which is something that if you have ever run a game for remotely new players or even experienced players who are just strangers playing at the table with you for the first time, um, you know that that is just now asking for 10 minutes of awkward shifting silence. There, uh, is there, is there a shot? Like, and then people stare at their character sheets and they're like, um... I guess I could get bullets from my gun. Even though the other problem, by the way, is that the characters were fully equipped. They had no adventure. They had no goal. They had no quest. They were fully equipped. And it's like, okay, you're in the market. Where, you know, what are you going to do? Now, I recognized in Fall of Silver Pine Watch, which Knox is now correctly complimenting because I did it right. I recognized this was an issue. So, number one, I introduced the goal of the adventure before I even gave the players their characters, and the characters, each character sheet had a reference to the goal. It was a small reference because the goal was simple. It was just, you know, take on an escort quest, but it was there. And then, you know, I introduced Una and ask every player to just describe their character and do nothing else. It's just like, okay, and now we're going to go around the table and you're just going to tell everybody what you look like and what your name is. That's all. Okay, so you're not interacting. And then it was further down the line as people are gradually getting more comfortable and after the GM does a bunch more talking that finally Una starts basically asking conversational questions to one character at a time that specifically reference information on their character sheets. But at the same time, the GM is instructed to, if a player is really into giving their description and they make up some detail that wasn't listed, take note of that and ask them about that instead because they're the sort of person that is going to jump into this. And then take your cues from the players and, you know, do that. Okay, but I absolutely cannot stand the, here you go, kids, now role play, because this is a role playing game, so just pretend to be you. Like, holy shit. Anyway. From shoot, shut, M, shit, 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 uh, I, I guess you're Irish. Shot McOne is saying, from the description, it seems like one of the major problems is, is not framing the scene with some form of dramatic tension. I, it's not a matter of dramatic tension. It is like literally without a goal, like yes and no. Okay. It's also assuming a level of comfort that players just don't have. Some players who are experienced and who have been playing together for a while or who are just naturally exuberant, um, they will fall into this, 
but new players or players who are playing with new people for the first time or just shy players, they take a little while to get their character skin on, even if they know that's how, what they're supposed to do, which is why you gradually lead them in by you, the GM, doing most of the talking first and by giving the players set answers to the questions you're going to run or ask them in case they're not creative or comfortable yet. But anyway, with all of that said, I just wanted to point out I'm a genius, the Warhammer Fantasy roleplay people are not. Meanwhile, if you are listening to this recording or you are listening live, but you can't do this now, when this goes live, leave a comment if you think you would like to hear a Warhammer Fantasy roleplay review of the shit-ass adventure that they put in that box. Okay, because I would love to do I also made a mess of it anyway. I just, I just started ignoring it. So, because I was just pissed. I also did, I'm going to say this. This is where, you know, I can give all the advice I want to give and I'm still terrible at taking, taking on, my, taking my own advice because no matter how shitty the published adventure you're running is, you absolutely never, ever badmouth the adventure you're running to the players. You can do it after you're done. After everybody's had a good time, and, you know, they're all happy. You could say, you know, I'm glad you had a good time because I got to tell you, this whole adventure was shit. And I hated every minute of it, except for the fact that, you know, you guys made it fun. Okay. But yeah, you never like, because you're now priming your players to have a bad time. Okay. And honestly... If your players are sitting down to play a game, this is something else that GMs often forget, but if your players are sitting down to play a game, they are sitting down to play a game. They are not sitting there to be entertained by your hilarious rant about the game or about the problems with the game system or whatever. And I am not good at not doing that. I am not good at just like making jokes at the system's expense or the, the, the book's expense or whatever. You just don't do that. Okay. The other thing, um, a player of mine who is also an angry fan, I will say, because I, I may, my players who play in my games, they are always welcome to identify themselves, but until they do so, I keep their identities hidden. Okay. And obviously absolutely nobody should be trying to figure out who my players are and contacting them in any way. Okay. But Many of my players are members of this community or many members of this community become my longtime players. You can think of it however you want. But anyway, one of my players who is also a fan of my work um, suggested something that was then reiterated in other form by others. And I have been led to believe that people really enjoyed the angry table tales where I just tell stories about what happened at my game table, hopefully with a lesson about what I did and why. I don't think those lend themselves to text. And I am looking to eventually start doing video content. And those seem, along with angry, ask angry, that seems like a pretty easy entry point into video content, 
But until then, if you would be interested in the occasional audio chat of Angry Table Tales, where it's like, oh, here's what happened at my last Warhammer adventure or AD&D Second Edition adventure, or here's the story of the Dwarven Cheese Wheel and the now cursed um, Heward's Handy Haversack that can only produce cheese wheels, um, then drop a comment when this goes live and let me know. Um, and I will take it into consideration because I was thinking of just tacking all this stuff on to the beginning of these live chats, but I like, like if I'm, if I get a lot of questions, I want to have the opportunity to interact with people as much as possible in these things, because this is the best opportunity for a large number of people to ask me a bunch of questions and then get yelled at and insulted for doing so. So with that said, I'm going to turn over the remaining portion of this chat, which I believe is going to be approximately 50. That's five zero minutes. Oh, Proselyst says 49, so I'm good at this. Um, to answering whatever questions. And I'm going to, again, remind people who are uh, currently in the live chat that uh, if you want to let me know what you would think of either um, a Warhammer review or uh, Angry Table Tales as audio and or video content later. Um, you should leave a comment on this when I post it, okay? Because I'm not going to see it right now. So if you just posted that, various people, including misspelled Kate and including um, uh, Meta Widget? No. No, okay. Several people have said that. Did they just, oh, BC56 said it. Okay. BC56 said it. Okay. Um, you're not following instructions. And if you don't follow instructions, then I'm just going to not do it. I'm just going to start punishing people for not following instructions. I'm going to punish the whole community, and I'm going to tell them whose fault it is. So when I say, I would love to tell you the story of the creature from the vegetable soup, but I can't because Great Kate and BC56 didn't follow directions, so you don't get an angry table tale this month. Okay. Okay, Mendel. What do you have against metal dice? Mendel, the almighty rules lawyer and frenemy for life, wants to know. Oh, he, no, he's, oh, he is. Complete monster. He's complete monster. No, Meta Widget, you're being blamed too because you said, that's right. So that's right, Meta Widget too. It's Meta Widget's fault. Okay, so what do I have against metal dice? Because I recently told everyone in the chat that Slapdash and any other game content I design is incompatible with metal dice. And now the question is, what, what is it that I have against metal dice? All right. I have nothing against metal dice as an, as, I mean, they're, they're dice, they're made of metal. It's nice to have a set of metal dice. If you have a set of pretty metal dice and you put them in a display case and you show them off, or you take them out of your little wooden case and say, oh, look at these metal dice I bought. They are, you know, rose gold or whatever. That is perfectly fine, okay? They're not suitable for play, okay? They're not meant for play. They are 
loud and clunky, and if the ta you know, certain table surfaces will just be damaged by them. So it's not just the metal die, because now you have to bring the felt pad or the or the dice tray to roll them in, you know. And then you roll your dice, and they are always going to make this hard clunk, thunk, bunk, even if you roll them into the felt, and that is because you want everybody looking at your dice. Oh, I have my metal. Did you see my new set of metal dice? Oh, let me roll my dice. Clunk, bam. See, look at the metal dice, how shiny they are. Okay, it's the same bullshit, by the way, that is dice towers and dice trays and the impossible to read runic dice that are all like, oh, look, I bought this new set of dice. They're elven and you, you, they're not even written in real numbers. Those are elven numbers. So you have to learn elven to read them. And then somebody rolls them and then it takes them 17 minutes to say, oh, that's a seven. Or as the elves say, flanishmula, which means seven, right? It's all the same friggin' bullshit. We are not here to look at your dice or to wait for your die to rattle around and bounce its way to the bottom of the tower and then gently roll to a stop. We are not sitting here waiting in anticipation. We do not all need to be deafened by the sound of your giant lead die hitting the table, denting my wood. Okay, we just want to play a friggin' game. Your dice have a job, and that job is to generate a single random number as quickly and quietly and unobtrusively as possible so I can resolve an action and we can get more than one round of combat done tonight. Okay, it's not metal dice. There's nothing wrong with metal dice or fossil dice or any sort of fancy dice or whatever. It's using them as play. They're not, okay? They are not meant for play. You, if you're using them, you're doing it to show off because you need attention. And I'm so mad at you now, Mendel, who can't even wear matching socks. I'm not even answering your next question. I'm skipping it. I, I will answer it, but not tonight. Um, I will say, is it a Grolix as well? No, Flamishwa is not Grolix. It's a foreign word. Okay, now, uh, so Mendel also asked, what lessons can we take from Star Trek Deep Space Nine when planning a TTRPG campaign? I do want to answer that question because I have been thinking of what a good setting it is for a D&D campaign, but not, like, obviously, don't put D&D on a space station, but, D like, um, uh, whatchamacallit, <clears throat> Deep Space Nine wasn't really a space station, it was like uh, St. Louis, Missouri, really. Okay, um... See, originally when Gene Roddenberry created the original series of, um, of uh, Star Trek, his vision for it, um, before he got his head lodged so far up his rectum, um, his vision for it was wagon train to the stars, right? He saw Kirk and crew as the rugged adventurers going out into the frontier, you know, it, and that, that was it. It was inspired by Westerns, okay? The gradually over time, it's social commentary, especially when it got into deep space or uh, next generation, kind of took hold and it stopped being wagon trained to the stars and it 
you know, um, like there was a lot less to boldly go going on by the time Next Generation was over and they were experimenting with all sorts of different things. And I mean, there was some cool stuff in there. I, uh, Next Generation, of all the series, I will say this. Next Generation had the highest highs, okay? The best episodes of Trek ever were all found in Next Generation. Next Generation had the highest highs, okay? But Deep Space Nine was the most consistent. It's It had good highs. It had some lows, but they were all, you know, but it was much more even. It was much more consistent. It was much more level experience. Um, but more importantly, it literally was a gateway to the frontier. It was a boom town. It started off as this post-war backwater location that had basically been abandoned. And then when they discovered gold and then our hills and or the Northwest Passage, in this case, they discovered the wormhole to a whole new quadrant of the galaxy no one had ever seen before. And now suddenly they were going to have aliens and trade and all this stuff coming through. It became a boom town and then eventually became the fort that was on the front line of the war when the Dominion Arc happened, it was a Western boomtown on the frontier. And that is an excellent setup for a D&D campaign, okay? The sort of, the sort of Western, like the, the, the town of adventure on the frontier that is becoming a boomtown. And in fact, I have run that campaign several times without ever really realizing that I was taking a lot of cues from Deep Space Nine. Uh, no pun intended because Q is a terrible character and I hate him, but that's a story for another time. Classic Rulebook Angrican is asking, what at-the-table techniques would you recommend for a GM trying to wean his players off of create and portray play? Uh, that's a hard one because it's not, it, like, your trouble is that it's not an at-the-table problem, okay? And there's no, like, at, at a certain point, there's no amount of gaming that's going to do it. You really want to do it right. Uh, make them play basic D&D, &D, uh, you know, like Menser Basic, the good basic, not BX. Okay, BX is shit. Uh, Menser Basic. Make them play Menser Basic and make them roll randomly for their characters, or make them, like, or AD&D 2nd Edition, make them roll randomly for their characters. Um, or, alternatively, um, have them sit down for character generation, give the character generation session exactly, like, a half hour, or, like, a half hour, an hour, or whatever. Do not give them any information in advance. Do not even tell them what system you're running. And then just say, okay, by, you have one hour, and we're all going to sit here, and you have one hour to finish your character. And like, and most of that time will be taken up just filling out the character sheet. And then they don't have time to put into it. You know, don't take backstories. Do not accept anything written from the, from the player. And if the player says, well, let me tell you about my character. It's like, nope, you bring it into the game. Okay. Like it's not a foolproof plan because they're still going to come up with ideas, but the less time you give them to like think about their character and the more you just kind of force them to start playing it and the less you're en you entertain their bullshit backstory nonsense, the harder it is for them to, to do it. To some extent, you can't stop players from doing this. So at a certain point, it's just got to be like, you know what? Your style's incompatible with mine. I don't want to run for you anymore. 
Okay, Diego asks, is it better to have a shorter session for character gen to character gen away from the table or to do a character gen jump straight into playing session of regular length, which is your preferred option? It depends on the system and the campaign and several other things, but fortunately, true campaign managery will at some point get around to answering your question. Junk, how do I set a cozy, comfortable scene for the players as a small recurring part of my adventure? Cozy and comfortable scene for the players as a small recurring part of my adventure? I don't know what you're trying to accomplish there. Are you running like Stardew Valley? Because cozy and comfortable are not words I would describe for anything I was trying to do in an adventure, especially like a D&D adventure. I, I don't, I, I, got, I got nothing there. Zoot. Would planning the creation of a character sheet app alongside a hypothetical, nope, next, borrow. How do you feel about a meetup event with your supporters, similar or not to AngryCon? No need to commit, just would like to hear your thoughts. I would love to do another non-con, okay, which I did a couple of years ago. A couple of years ago, I hosted a meetup. Um, there were about 35 of us. Um, rented a room at a, you know, rented a, a conference, not a conference room, but like a meeting room at a hotel um, for, no, Zoot, Zoot, it doesn't contain forbidden talk. You're reopening a fight. I don't feel like having again. You all exhausted me with this bullshit today. Okay? So the topic's done. That's what happens when you beat the shit out of me and argue with me all day. Sorry. I'm, I'm really spent on it now. So, uh, yeah, so I did that a couple of years ago. I really want, wanted to, and Will could sit, and I'm trying to make it an annual thing, okay? I would like non-con to be an annual thing, and I would like it to eventually leverage into an angry convention. Um... My financial situation this year, um, as with last year, is not allowing it to happen. But uh, I am already looking at ways to make it happen in 2025. If, and if that's going to happen, it will happen probably mid to late 2025, at the end of summer or autumn. But I will make sure that I avoid major conventions when I try to schedule it. I will announce it early and let people know. P.S. Are you a hugger? Um, it depends. Can you hug with both your arms being torn off and used to beat you over the head? Shut McOne. When doing scenario design for high-level, high-power adventure groups, what considerations do you make to keep the scenario from falling apart, keep it challenging? Basically exactly the same thing I do for low-level, low-power adventuring groups, just higher. Naja Freeman. What advice could you give on prepping your game efficiently when short on time? Do you have tips to focus efforts on the right things and combat the feeling of being unprepared? Okay, first of all, there is no way to combat the feeling of being unprepared. You could have infinite time and you will still feel unprepared. Just get used to feeling unprepared. That is how GMs feel pretty much all the time. Okay, now, um, the efficient... Prepping efficiently, if you know how to prep efficiently, it does not matter whether your time is limited or not. Because what efficient means is making the best use of what time you have. So 
what you need to do is practice efficient prep when you're not limited for time. So step one is to figure out what things you absolutely do actually need prepped during the game. And not just the things you feel that you need prepped or the things you want, you need to make a good hard look at your game and look at what affects your game badly when you have it prepped it in advance and what allows your game to flow more smoothly when you do have it prepped, okay? Once you know which things are the most important things to prep, you have a basic priority list. Then, when it is time to prep for your next session, step one is to figure out what is likely to happen at your next session, which I think I instructed people on. It was basic, I, I wrote a thing about scripting your session, where in advance you sort of sit down and you say, well, what are my players going to do next time? Well, I know they... You know, they got to the entrance of the dungeon last time, and I know that they are going to go downstairs and start exploring the dungeon. And I know there is this bridge that goes into the void of darkness, but there are these chalk marks that lead in a different direction. And since they're trying to track somebody down, they're going to follow the chalk marks. So they're probably going to go that way first. And then they're going to encounter this, this, and this, and given that we have about four hours of time, um, they're going to, you know, that's going to be this, 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 and this. This is about as far as they're going to get. So those are the things I absolutely need to be ready to run. At minimum, I need to be able to handle those things. If they do go in the wrong direction, I'm going to have to wing it. And there's nothing I can do to handle that. But my guesses are pretty good, so I'm going to guess this is what I need to prep. So then you make a list of the things that they're going to encounter. You know, what rooms are they going to come across? What places are they going to look at? What things are they going to, what lore are they going to discover? Whatever it is, it doesn't, it doesn't matter whether it's a dungeon or an event-based game or a mystery or whatever. Figure out what path they're likely to take. Figure out what they're going to stumble on over that path. And now look at that list and look at the things you need to have prepped to make the game work. Okay? And start matching them up and say, okay, well, first thing they're going to do is they're going to encounter the, the this giant hallway and it has these symbols on it. And my players, they're going to analyze the hell out of the symbols and they're going to think long and hard about the symbols. So I better make sure I have the symbols drawn, except the drawings of the symbols don't actually matter that much. So I can actually skip that. And if my players do examine them, I'll just be descriptive and cover it. So I don't need to draw the symbols. If I have extra time, I'll draw the symbols. But then they're going to encounter this combat with this with this uh, giant lizard. And I absolutely have to have stats. I can't run a combat without stats and a map. So stats and a map, that's the next thing. And then you move on. Then they're going to encounter this. And again, this is, you know, this is basically fancy stuff. And then they go two different directions. They're going to find this corpse. And I know that they are going to end up casting Speak With Dead on the corpse. I know it. Okay, I basically set them up to do it. So I have no idea what they're going to ask, but I sure as hell better think about what things are they likely to ask and be prepared to give some answers. And I know the politician trick where I can answer the question that is different from the question they asked while seeming to answer the question. Okay. So, uh, do, are you having, Nitsua, please don't use the Q&A thread for conversation. Um, you use the, the live chat channel for that. Q&A thread is for questions or comments. Thank you. Okay. 
Logic. How could rationing resource tracking be designed as a more dynamic interaction? So this was another one that turned into a fight um, because I was trying to talk through this. I wanted to, so look, number one, you know what? Real talk time. I lost my temper a few times at a few different people today on the Discord, and I do apologize for that. I am not supposed to be losing my temper with people. It's not fair. It's not right. I'm going through a very, very, very hard time in my life, and I'm very worried about certain things, and I'm very depressed. But that doesn't excuse me mistreating people, okay? But I also often feel like I bring up an idea in the hopes that we can talk through it together and talk about the idea and get excited about the idea. And it helps me immensely to talk through ideas, okay? And sometimes the response from the community is instead of talking through the idea, oh, let's explore, oh, that sounds interesting, let's, oh, here's this idea, here's that idea, and let's, you know, why would we do this, you know, oh, here's, here's what I thought of. You know, instead of that, um, it's a lot of trying to prove things wrong. There's a lot of one-upmanship that goes on. And I feel like a lot of it especially is, like, I hate to say this, I sometimes feel like there are certain people in the Discord chat who are looking to score points on me as some sort of a trophy, as some sort of a notch on their belt. Like they do, they, like I do sometimes feel, this may be unfair, this may be fair, I'm not speaking to any particular person. Though, if you're listening to this and you're wondering like, oh my God, is that me? Because that seems to happen a lot. Then if that's not what you're meaning to do, then maybe there is a question of how we're interacting. And it could be on me and I am very, very frayed right now and very close to snapping and I feel really, really bad about that, which is why I end up apologizing 10 times a day these days. But at the same time, when it, when it turns into this long fight, like I even said specifically because I brought up the rationing resource tra tracking thing and I was trying to talk through an idea and I was hoping people would feed back and talk through ideas and what have you or e at least ask interesting questions. I love, when pe I love when people feed back and build on an idea and I love when people offer different perspectives and I also love when people ask interesting questions. What I don't love is when people just push back on it, especially if it seems just for the sake of pushing back. And that's sort of what happened today. Because I did say at one point, like I was rattling off, here's why it is so difficult to build these sorts of mechanics in role-playing games. And if you're gonna build these mechanics, here is the thing you need to think through, okay? Because otherwise you're gonna land in this trap of your, your abstract mechanics are gonna take away the open-endedness of the game. That was one of the things I said. And I rattled off like three or four examples of mechanics where this was particularly a problem. I think I said things like encumbrance and ra rationing and ammo tracking and you know uh, starvation and what, whatever, all of this stuff. I rattled off all of this stuff and um, just like as examples. Here's examples of where you can fall into this trap. And it turned into a fight about D&D's specific rules for rations and whether they were bad rules or not. And it was like, okay, fine. Maybe they are, maybe they're not. Maybe I misinterpreted them. Maybe you misinterpreted them. I don't know. But what we weren't doing at that point was talking about how to design better games. Now we were just pissing and moaning once again about whether Wizards of the Coast fucked it up or not.
What is interesting, though, is, and I will say this, as a result of that discussion, I became very, very curious about the, the ration rules in D&D. And I ran out a spreadsheet of, you know, what would happen if you follow the rules as they are written, and what, what ways could you game how you eat your rations? Like, if you eat only a half ration every day, how long would you, if you blah, 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 blah. So, and one of the things is one of the consequences of the rules as written in the player's handbook that I was insisting were clumsy and not well thought through is that on five pounds of food by the rules as written with only a constitution score of 12, I will not starve to death for 33 days. I did the math now. Okay, I figured out a way to do it. 33 days. And technically, if I was willing to add an extra nested if statement, I probably could have stretched it out to 38 days. Okay, because those, the rules are broken. They're, they're broken and they're clumsy and they're badly worded and there are multiple interpretations. But that also precluded the whole discussion of how would you design better mechanics? It's like, so the, I, I do apologize to everybody who was involved in that conversation that I got upset. And I apologize now because I'm taking time that I could be using talking about better ways to do this and instead complaining about the fighting. But it did seem like a lot of fights broke out today. Uh, one of the, I, and I will take my bad on, it was my bad on the whole paper character sheets thing because I did walk in and I was kind of playing with people's heads a little bit because I dropped a comment without context. And then I was hoping that instead of telling me the comment was wrong, people would be like, oh, well, what are you doing that you brought you to that conclusion? Let's hear about what's what the project is. And, you know, but anyway. I'm not sure that I want to share this. I did have a more private chat with some um, some folks in the Discord. I just I moved to a hiding place and had the conversation with some with some other folks, and we bandied about a bit. And as a result, there there was some conclusions drawn. Um, and I'm not sure I want to share it because I do have plans to use it. But here here is the basic idea. Okay, here, here's the thing. Let's just talk, I'm just gonna talk specifically about rationing, but you can use it to think about a lot of different questions in D&D. And I have to now answer the question and give this, I have to give something useful, because I just basically pissed and moaned and said my feelings were hurt, which is a waste. No, that's worthless content for anybody, okay? So, so now I'm gonna give you something useful. Okay. The problem with questions like rations and arrows and backpack space, okay, is that there is no resource management, okay? There is no way to manage those resources, okay? Here, here is how, like, arrow, here's how, like, tracking arrows works, right? If you choose to make an attack with your bow, you tick off an arrow. When you have no arrows left, you cannot make attacks with your bow anymore. Okay. There is no wiggle room in there for any decision. Okay. If you don't find more arrows, 
to refill your quiver, you are just, this, it's just a countdown. It's not a resource. A resource has to be, you have to be able to manage it in some way. Backpack space is exactly the same thing. You have X number of pounds you can put, you know, of, uh, you know, that you can carry before you are encumbered. Okay. And after that, you are encumbered. And you can say, well, there's, you know, there's levels of being encumbered. How much, how much suck do I want to absorb? But that doesn't change the fact that you're not doing any, you're, any management there. It's just a countdown to when the penalties start. So you put a pound in your backpack, then you put another, I'll just keep adding stuff to your backpack until you get to the penalties and then you stop. Or you say, well, I guess I have to have the penalties, you know, it's, but that's the only decision. There's no management there. It's just a depleting resource. You have it until you use it up, you know? And you can say, oh, well, there's interesting decisions with encumbrance. Like, well, you know, how much food should I carry versus how much, tre you know, how much empty space should I leave for treasure or whatever? I mean, yes, there, there is that question. But at the end of the day, here's the thing. It's actually a really simple question. You fill your backpack up to the point where you can't take any more penalties, okay? And then if you find something so heavy that you need space in your backpack for it, throw out the items that are worth less than the thing you found, okay? It's not like you can't just drop shit on the ground. It's like, well, you know what? I can buy a new uh, hammer and 12 pythons if I take this gold idol. So I shall leave the hammer and gold pythons here for some other adventurer to hide, find and bring the gold idol back to town. <laughs> you know, I will show a clear profit that way. This, it's, this, that's not actually a decision. It's a non-decision masquerading as a decision. There's no reason not to just fill your backpack up to bursting because you can throw anything away and replace it if you find something more valuable. It's as simple as that, okay? So the point is so you have to find a way to overcome that so that it's not just a countdown. And with something like food, that's actually really tricky to do because food is just a countdown. It's just like, look, when you're out of food, you die. And there's not much you can do about it, you know? Like, what? well, I'm out of food now. If you can't find more food by rolling a foraging check or a hunting check, or, you know, by going back to town, you're just screwed, okay? Which also means that, like, so one of the things I suggested, and this is an original character recolor, do not steal, because it is an example of a mechanic I do plan to use in several places. Okay, um, copyright angry games, my property, don't make me hit you. But, you know, feel free to iterate on it and build, a, you know, play with it in your own home games. But, okay, in order for it to be, in order for you to have like this minimum of you need to eat at least this much food every day or you suffer, there must also be a reason to eat more than that. That's the way you stop it from being a countdown, okay? 
So if, say, a human being requires a minimum of half a half pound of food per day, or else they begin to start suffering hunger penalties, okay? Because, by the way, go one day without food or two days or three days, and you become miserable and faint and terrible extremely quickly, okay? You, won't, you can live for three weeks without food, approximately, roughly, right? It's the old three, three, and three rule. Um, you know, you can live three, three minutes without air, three days without water, three weeks without food, right? So anyway, you, it's some, some people say it differently. It's just the, the quick three, three, and three rule, right? But anyway, okay. But before you get to that point where you're actually starving to death, you're already not functioning at your best, Okay, like you really, like all it takes is, a, your blood sugar starts dropping if you don't eat food when your body expects it. If you eat dinner at the same time every day and skip dinner one night, you already start to get cranky and your decision making gets impaired. So immediately penalties kick in. So this is not even a matter of whether you die or not. This is like, how much do you need to eat each day to, to avoid penalties? But there needs to be something on the other end, like a... But if you eat more than that, huh? so then there is, there's two directions to choose from. I can eat the bare minimum and avoid the penalties, but if I eat good food or lots of food, not like to the point of overeating, but you know, if I eat this other amount of food, maybe good things happen. Okay, maybe there is a well-fed bonus. Maybe the baseline assumption is that you're eating barely enough to get by, which makes, like in a fantasy medieval world, most people are just eating barely enough to get by unless they're rich, right? So what happens if you're doing better than that? You know, now just between those two states, you have... This is the, the sign that you are doing it right is this. If you take two different players, give them the same character and put them in the same situation, if they make different decisions, you're doing it right. Okay, so I can imagine that two different players, one player is, is thinking, well, I only have five pounds of food. I know this, or I only have 10 pounds of food. I know this trip is only five days and everything is probably safe, but I don't wanna risk running out of food. So I'm just gonna eat the bare minimum. I'm gonna stretch this out, right? While the other players think, I got plenty of food. I'm gonna get well-fed bonuses every day. You know what? I mean, if, if an encounter happens on the road, I wanna be well-fed. I'm gonna be well-fed, right? So number one, the two players already in identical situations making different decisions. Okay, so number two though, is the two players will also have different opinions of when it's time to change strategies. Like the conservative, like if the party gets lost in the woods now and they spend an extra day of traveling, at how many days does the party have to be lost for as before each player says, okay, now I'm worried about whether or not we'll have enough food I'm going to start just eating the minimum, screw the well-fed bonuses, right? So that is the start 
of how to think through the situation. That's, this is, by the way, this, that's what's called a play dynamic, okay? How, because how different, two completely different players interact with the system is different. So there's a, there's a dynamic of play, okay? If there's no reason, you, you know, like in D&D, everybody just marks off a pound of food every day because if they don't, they'll starve, and if they don't, they can't recover from exhaustion and yada, yada, yada. So the GM just says, everybody mark off a pound of food, and everybody marks off a pound of food, and then everybody just buys enough food, usually more than enough, you know? So then it's never a problem. It's never interesting. If the players actually have to, like, if there's a decision around eating and a reason to do it conservatively and a reason to do it recklessly, players will start to differentiate themselves before anything interesting in the game even happens. And then if interesting shit starts to happen, well, that just changes the play dynamic, okay? So that's where you start. And that's just one example of how you can design this shit differently. There is another problem, and that is if everything is a fixed ticking time time bomb, where it's like, look, I mean, this, this is the thing. The way D&D is designed right now, if you, you know, if you, you check off a pound of food every day or half a pound of food every day, um, and then, you know, once you don't have enough food anymore, you have precisely X number of days before you accrue a level of exhaustion from it, and then you accrue another level, and, another, and there you, once you hit exhaustion level six, you're dead, right? So it is a fixed timer. If you have five pounds of food in your backpack, and you have a constitution modifier of plus one, there is no decision to be made. If you don't find any more food, you have, I don't remember the exact number, I actually did the math earlier, but you, you have 14 days. Okay, except actually, like I said, you know, just by the rules as written, you actually have 33 days. Okay, what you do is you only, you only eat one meal every four days. Which, by the way, that's how you know you have a bad mechanic in a role-playing game. If playing the mechanic in the most op optimal way leads to a ridiculous decision no human being would ever make, you designed a bad rule, okay? Because I can look at the rules of consuming food in D&D and keep myself alive for 33 days by eating one pound of food every four days. Um, that's a badly designed rule because if you were with, if you were traveling with a group of people and you were doing that, everybody would think you were nuts. That's, that's not human. People don't do that. How, Stu is asking, how can I portray farmers, peasants, lower class? They keep sounding sophisticated. Oh, that's easy. Just give them like a, a caricature accent. Pick, pick whichever accent um, you, you think is the most rural and hickish and just use that. You people don't think I'm kidding when I say that or that I'm being offensive and deserve to be canceled. Like I give a shit. Um, but no, that's it. Pick a voice. Okay. You should have in your head voices for different types of characters, okay? It does not have to be an offensive stereotype. You do not, like, I forget I said the word offensive because, frankly, it does not have to be a stereotype, okay? But it can be. That's fine. Do you. I don't care. I'm not playing at your table. If you're not offending your players, you're not doing anything wrong. 
I would say if you're not offending your players, you're probably not doing anything right either. But anyway, so pick a voice. What voice to you sounds lower class? Practice it. Look in, I'm not, and not joking about this, by the way. Look in the mirror and converse with yourself as a lower class peasant and see what what voice comes out. You know, do your arms and like, and, you know, and, you know, like stand in a pose and look in the mirror and say, okay, now I'm a common potato eater. What voice comes out of my mouth? Well, you folks, I, you folks, I'm just here, you know, common potato eater. I don't know anything from anything, so I can't give you directions to the dungeon. I'm sorry. Well, that's the voice that comes out of me. Is that offensive? Yeah, probably. Do I give a shit? No. Okay, but that's the voice when I think lower class. If you ask me to do a scholar, you know, again, I will sit up straight and I will say, you know, I have been making a study of the elven ways for a long time, and I've discovered that culturally, they actually have a great deal of similarities with the Rovari, with the Rovari Empire. So I suspect that there was a great deal of contact between the two of them. Okay? Okay. But you do it with your whole body, too, by the way. Like, you can't see me, but I actually held up my hand as if I was holding a book in front of me, and I sat up straight, and that's how the scholar came out of me. And now I'm the king on the throne, or the, you know, or no, you know what? I'm the lord, like, we're, we're going to do, like, the lord in his hall. You know, the beardy guy with the battle axe type lord, the guy who goes out as the head of his army. You know, like, you know um, so, and then the, the heroes come in, and they, you know, You've done great work for me, uh, you know, if fighting these goblins that have been, uh, you know, menacing my boy. I'm a little off tonight, so you've done great work for me menacing these goblins. I'm proud to call you guests in my hall. Please come, join me for a meal. Let us break bread together and I can honor you. So, you know, shit like that. Just, you know. Drop your whole body into it. See what comes out. Whatever comes out, comes out. I've gotten really bad at this myself. I have a character in in my game, in my AD&D 2nd Edition game right now, and she started, um, she started as like this, this very angry, chip-on-her-shoulder, bitter sort of firebrand type. And she sort of lost it, and I can't. I have lost her voice, which can happen. You can lose an NPC. Okay. What you'll also find too is if you start with these default voices, like, oh, here's my this, and like I say voice, and when people, uh, when when you say voice, people think you mean accent. Okay. There is a difference between a voice and an accent. You don't like I. I wasn't doing an accent for the king. You know, this is not an accent. This is just the way I speak. You are guests in my hall, and you will comport yourselves as such, or else you will find yourselves a head shorter on leaving. Right? That's that's not an accent. I'm not. That's just a voice that comes out of me. You know, as I, I picture now, this angry. He got angry. That, he's probably dealing with my players. He went from liking them to angry very quickly. You know, so um. So yeah, but I do suggest that in your spare time, it, like if you know that you're going to have uh, peasants in your next adventure, like in the next session, players are going to be dealing with halfling farmers, then maybe take a half hour um, and um, and just like get in front of the mirror and converse with your pe- with your players as your peasants, you know. Uh, and see what happens. 
Uh, I'm probably running short on time. How am I doing, Proselus? I think I have seven minutes left. I don't know what you say. So six minutes. Okay. In the mailbag, I said imbalance is good for a game and that Blizzard knew this better than anyone in making their games. Would you elaborate on how they've done this? Yes, but it's old now. Blizzard, when I said new, that was in the past tense. Okay. Blizzard used to be excellent at this. Okay. Blizzard was very good at using things like incomparables. Um, and also, but also understanding that you didn't want to balance things perfectly. That's why Blizzard, Blizzard was very good at, um, developing and shifting and reacting to the quote unquote meta, right? Like that, when you go back to the old, like the, the Starcraft, the Warcraft, World of Warcraft days, Everybody who talked about Blizzard, they were always talking about the meta. Which characters were optimal for this or that or the other thing and yada, 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 and which characters fit which playstyle best and all that stuff. Okay, all of that comes from imbalance. Okay, you don't realize, but you know what? This actually goes back to the thing that I just said about um, you have two players who have exactly the same character and would make different decisions, Okay. A way, like, if you have things perfectly balanced, I'm trying to think how to say this. <sighs> okay. Okay, here, here is, here's really the thing. Okay. <sighs> you can't balance things perfectly anyway. Everybody knows that. There is no such thing as perfect balance. It's ridiculous to even think you could. Okay? You're going to try and get things mostly balanced, obviously, because that plays well for the game. But the thing about imbalance is that if you have some options that are slightly less good, and you have some options that are slightly better, right? Um, and you have some options that that, you know are, you, you know, if you can find these options, if players can find them, players can get good at your game, okay? I don't know, there's, there's, a, there's a much longer, like, I don't feel like I can do this in the five minutes I have. So, uh, I'm, I'm moving past this one. I'll come back to this another time. Ask next month. Try again later, whatever. Meta Widget, what's your beverage tonight? It's not peach mango. It's just, it's just a thing. My blender bottle full of water and I threw a lemon, lemon iced tea packet in there. It's nothing fancy. Okay, Noited. What's the deal with create and portray play? Where did it come from and why is it a problem? It's a problem because it's totally non-interactive. Where did it come from? It, I mean, it's always been a thing. Um, but... It's been a thing that has been gradually being been pushed through the rule books. Okay. It started when we shifted away from roll to see what character you're going to play or make some rolls and then choose classes and races, whatever, based on what you rolled um, so that you can't quite know what you're going to play before until you play it. Okay. Um, so that you have to actually like develop the character. Um, 
it started when we moved away from that and the first step in creating character became first come up with a concept for your character. Okay, which I think I'm, I'm going to pop open my D&D 3.5 player's handbook right now because I think even then um, the first thing it says is come up with a concept character creation. Nope. Oh, no, I'm wrong. Check with your dungeon master, then roll ability scores. Okay. Uh, so, anywho. Okay, so that's where it started. That was the first inception, was the idea that um, the first step to playing a game is, um, is come up with a concept. Okay. Envision, your char- envision the character you're going to play. Okay. As tabletop role-playing games became more mechanically rigorous, um, especially when there became a focus on optimizing stats for certain classes, and then there came a a focus on meeting prerequisites to qualify for things, and decisions that build on other decisions like feet trees and this and that and the other thing, it became necessary to not just have a mental concept— um, but also to build the mechanical concept, which like in like in, in Pathfinder and in D and D three point five, um, the joke was, and in Pathfinder two now, the joke is you build your character at twentieth level and then scale them back down to first level and then just get them there, right? So, um, and that's that's a big element of play, create and portray play. The idea is that you are oh shit, the button is being armed. Did I? I missed the two-minute warning. I saw the five-minute one and missed the two-minute. Oh, shit. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah, I got... I Nope. Kobold. The return of templates in Kobold TOV books. I have no idea what the hell that means. Uh, RSS feed for early access stuff. I don't think I can. Um, because of the way I release early access stuff, uh, putting out an RSS feed for it is uh, difficult and would create security concerns. So that's it. I got through the list except for the questions that I didn't answer for one reason or another. I want to thank everybody for hanging out today. I want to apologize again for being temperamental. Um, I am really sorry. I'm just having a rough time. Uh, but at the same time, maybe think about when you're interacting with me, um, you know, how we're doing that. Okay? And maybe, you know, I'm, I'm trying not to be afraid nerve. I'm trying not to take things out on people. It's not always working. But at the same time, everything doesn't need to be a fight. Okay? Everything does not need to be a debate. And if you, like, I get excited talking about ideas and I get miserable defending ideas. Okay? So, uh, uh, thanks, Proselis. Uh, thanks, Nitsua. I think Naopi has bingo. So, good on you, Naopi. Um, and suddenly there's a massive scrolling thing in, okay, I don't know what that was. But anyway, I got to say goodnight, otherwise I'm going to get cut off and muted. So that's it. Yeah, good night. Thanks everybody for your support. I don't want to get cut off during the thank yous. It is very important that I thank everybody. Okay. Thanks and apologies are what have to be done. Okay. So thank you to everybody who has been supporting me. Thank you also to the Secret Angry Board um, for continuing to help me out, even on my worst days, especially on my worst days. Uh, thank you also to the moderators who have been trying to keep me cool. Um, and, uh, thank you to Proselis. Thank you to Doug for keeping track of, uh, links. Uh, I, if you could in the future, private message them to me rather than just throwing them in this chat, that would be more useful. Uh, and then I think that's it.
Um, oh, and you know what? Here's one that I never throw in, but I'm going to throw this out there right now because I know many of them are listening, and I talked about them a little bit earlier. This is a final thank you. My players, the people who sit at my various tables and play my games, they also deserve a thank you. I am blessed with some of the most awesome players that I have ever run games for right now. Okay, they are a butt-ton of fun to run games for, and they deserve to be thanked, especially because I have not been the easiest game master to live with these past several months. And while we're now back on a much more consistent track and not missing games every week, nonetheless, um, it has still been kind of a struggle. So I greatly appreciate them, because honestly, running games for people is one of the things that makes life worth living. So thank you. And with that, good night all. I'm out.